Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. First, though, we start with a story we've been call, uh, following closely for you here on the show, and that is the energy crunch here in British Columbia. We just got through that deep freeze in BC. We're able to get through that because we have imported so much power last year. Last year, British Columbia had to import 20% of its power. That's the highest ever. Got Dave, I got Barry Penner standing by to discuss. David Eby now, last week, the Premier at a big natural resources summit in Prince George announced a $36 billion BC hydro expansion. Have a listen. It's an assurance to you that you will have access to clean, stable, affordable electricity to decarbonize your operations and to build jobs in British Columbia. Okay, that's David Eby speaking last week. Let's discuss now with my guest, Barry Penner, Chair of Energy Futures Initiative, former Attorney General of BC. Barry, thank you for coming on today. You're most welcome, Mike. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. When people hear that we have to import power, I think that could surprise a lot of people, uh, you know, especially when we're in a province that is blessed with so much abundant, uh, natural, clean hydroelectricity. Why did we have to Im- uh, import so much power last year? Uh, simply put, we weren't generating enough on our own. Uh, we've had a couple of years of below average precipitation. And uh, I think there's been a number of years prior to that where BC Hydro was uh, successful in selling additional amounts of electricity into the U.S. market. But that meant pulling water through our turbines. And uh, so combine that with uh, drier than average winters as well as summers for a couple of years. And uh we were in a position where we had to import electricity. And as you noted, it was a record amount. Uh, and according to what uh, PowerX has said, it ex- vastly exceeded previous records, that amount of electricity being drawn in, mostly from the U.S. market. Yeah, and so we need more power, that's for sure. And the Premier, we just heard that announcement, this is a $36 billion BC hydro plan. Now, this is this is basically for the infrastructure, it seems, to deliver the power, like expanding uh, power lines and that kind of thing. What about expand, generating more power? Is that part of this announcement? Uh, around the edges, yes, but primarily, the, as you point out, the announcement focused on the nuts and bolts of the system, which yeah. is important. Uh, electricity doesn't get to your house unless there's a wire to bring it there. Sure. Um, and so the, a major refurbishment is is required and additional capacity uh throughout the system uh and then layer on that the uh the very ambitious and some would say uh maybe overly ambitious targets to electrify various additional parts of our economy and those transmission lines and distribution lines in through your neighborhood being expected to carry a lot more electricity in the future yeah Speaking of Barry Penner about BC's energy shortage here, and especially a time when, as you touched on there, BC government encouraging people to switch to electric vehicles. We're moving to 100% EV sales here by law in 2035. Uh, The government also encouraging people to move to electric heat pumps to heat their home, transition away from natural gas. So we're going to need a lot more electricity. Where is it all going to come from? Let's listen to David Eby here talking about increasing the energy supply in BC. Then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Eby. The need for clean energy, including wind and solar power in our province, has accelerated. 
BC Hydro's filing indicates we require about 3,000 gigawatt hours per year of renewable energy starting as early as 2028. Okay, you heard him talk there about solar power, wind power, and Barry Penner, is this, is this the direction that Hydro is going in right now? More wind power? It is yeah, it is expected that the upcoming call for power that was first announced that was coming uh, back in June or July of last year, uh, it hasn't yet been formally issued. There's been lots of talk and anticipation, but we haven't actually seen the formal request for proposals yet from BC Hydro and probably won't for a few more months uh, because it seems like everything moves slowly in the electricity world. But anyway, they are signaling that this will likely result in proposals uh, for additional wind power sites in British Columbia. We do yeah. have a number of wind power projects in British Columbia. It's representing maybe five or six or a good day, 7% of the total amount of electricity generated in BC. So a much smaller percentage of wind power in BC than for example, in Alberta next door, Alberta has a lot more installed wind power capacity than we do. Okay. Let me ask you this. Do you think that wind is going to get it done? Like we need a lot more power, wind and solar clearly high priority here for BC hydro and this government. Can we fill the gap here? The amount of power we need with wind and solar. It, it certainly plays a role, but you have to yeah. understand what role that is. It, it can provide energy through the course of the year. By the end of the year, it will produce a certain amount of electricity. But you just don't know when that electricity is going to happen. You don't know when it will be windy, and you don't know just how sunny it will be. On average, you can predict. But uh, as we saw in Alberta, when they hit their crunch period, uh, it was dark. It was nighttime, so solar wasn't contributing. And the wind yeah. stopped. And so those wind turbines, although the, on the face, face of it, they have 4,000 megawatts of installed wind power capacity in Alberta, but it was producing just about zero megawatts of electricity uh, at the peak at the peak moment. Uh, what the opportunity here in British Columbia is that when it is windy, it allows BC Hydro not to run their dams as hard and save the water for when it is needed at those peak periods. So it, wind and a large hydro system like we have is actually fairly complementary. It, it's easier, I think, in our system yeah. to incorporate that wind power successfully into our overall system. Hey, Barry, last question for you. When it comes to electric heat pumps and the government continuing encourage, encouraging people transition to heat pumps and away from natural gas to heat their homes, what kind of impact could that have on electricity demand here? The study that's been filed with the BC Utilities Commission hasn't received any attention that I know of publicly, so your listeners might be hearing about it for the first time. But it shows that during periods of cold temperature, if even 25% of people switch to heat pumps from natural gas heating, you could see a 50% spike in the peak demand for electricity. And as we saw, even our system was almost maxed out uh, a few days ago when we had that record cold. Uh, we don't have 50% flux uh, to take on that much uh, increase in demand for electricity. It'll take many, many years to build that out. The current uh, government thinking is that electricity demand will increase by 15, 15%, 1, 5 by 2030. Can you imagine what would happen if we had a sudden 50%, 5-0% spike uh, due to a shift to heat pumps during a cold spell like we just had? Uh, so th this is pause for thought. And I think there will be uh, more interest in what the study reveals because it, it models the electricity demand at various temperatures. And heat pumps do work well most of the time, but yeah. like all engines, they become less efficient the colder it gets. 
And by the time you get down to minus 20, minus 25, and Polona, we saw minus 29 uh, last week, uh, the heat pumps actually become quite inefficient in terms of producing heat. And it just puts an extra burden on our already stretched electricity system. Okay, this is a story we're continuing to follow here very closely. I think it's going to become more and more important in the days ahead. Barry Penner, thank you for coming on today. You're most welcome, Mike. All right, here we go now with the Justin Trudeau's governing liberals. They are trailing in the opinion polls behind Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives right now, poll after poll. And as we get closer to a federal election here, how can Trudeau close that gap with Polyev? One tactic on full display here right now, portray Polyev as the Donald Trump of Canada. This is clearly the playbook here for the federal liberals. You hear this a lot now, including local liberal MPs here in B.C. They've compared Polyev to Donald Trump. Is this a smart strategy? Is it a fair comparator? Could this actually backfire on the liberals? I've got Shachi Curl standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this. This is a federal liberal party online ad. <laughs> it's not very uh, subtle here comparing Polyev to Donald Trump. Have a listen. Fake news. Fake news. The left-wing censorship regime. Their woke censorship ideology. Have turned our once great cities into cesspools of bloodshed and crime. Has unleashed a crime wave like we have never seen. We have to stop with political correctness. Woke political correctness. Defeating the radical left. Radical leftist authoritarian agenda. We want those great Canadian truckers to know that we are with them all the way. I'm proud of the truckers and I stand with them. Okay, as from the federal liberals there, direct comparison, Polyev to Trump. Could this actually work? Listen to Trudeau here getting in on it. Listen to what he calls the conservatives here in the House of Commons. Listen to this. Our government reached out and will continue to reach out to a range of farmers across the country who want to reduce their emissions, who are concerned uh, about climate change, unlike these MAGA conservatives. The, the MAGA conservatives. The MAGA conservatives. This is what Trudeau calls the conservatives now. All right, let's discuss with my guest, Shachi Curl, president of the Angus Reid Institute. Been doing some awesome research on this. I recommend your op-ed in the uh, Vancouver Sun in this recently. Shachi, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike, as always. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. So this is really interesting to me, and you've done a really interesting analysis on it. First of all, what do you think of this? The comparison here between Trump and Polyev, is this... Is this fair? Do you think this is something that resonates with Canadians? Do you think it's a, it's a reasonable comparison? Well, fairness versus reason versus resonant are three different things, Mike. Yeah. As you know. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that first ad where it was sort of phrase for phrase, Trump versus Polyev, I mean, it does sound a little Trumpish, doesn't it? However, yeah. um, what I would say is, is a couple, I, I would say a few things. First of all, uh, Trump has actually moved beyond Trump. And what I mean by that is a lot of that phrasing is and sounds like the Trump of 2016, which has now really been co-opted by the hard Republican right um, of, of everyone. So you would hear someone like a Ron DeSantis saying that. You might even hear someone like Nikki Haley saying that or any number of Republican proxies out there. So is there a case to be made that uh, a not insignificant amount of Pierre Polyev's rhetoric 
is is more about uh, a right wing or a harder right rhetoric um, these days than maybe that that more centrist or progressive conservative uh, rhetoric that we might have heard in the past. Yes, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. But when we get into uh, starting to hear not only the prime minister, but his uh, liberal spin doctors and proxies on the political panels, referring to it as MAGA Republicanism or Trump-like Republicanism. What we have to also remember is Trump is off. Uh, he's he's moved the line. He's now talking about authoritarianism. He has poisoned the well among, uh, you know, the vast majority of his supporters into not only thinking that the 2020 election is rigged, but also that that most will not accept the results of the 2024 election unless their guy wins. And why yeah. why do I why can I say this? Because we have the polling data that shows it. And I would invite anybody to go to angusreed.org to read those studies. So what we have to, you know, there 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 has to be, I think, some some pause or some circumspection. On one hand, it's it can be effective because we know, for example, that the liberal base is feeling pretty defeated and pretty mopey at the moment. The vast majority of them are voting liberal in order to block the conservatives from forming government, not because they feel passionate about Justin Trudeau or his party. And after eight plus years, that's not surprising. Um, mm. So it can be effective. It can motivate the base. It can coalesce the base at a time when they're when they're running from well behind and trying to play catch up. But it can also backfire on them because there are a lot of people right now who are eyeballing the conservatives, checking out Pierre Polyev and, and, the, and the CPC as an option. And they may not take kindly to being compared to uh, basically uh, Trump ac acolytes or sort of Trump nation. There's, there's a lot of Canadians who say, look, on cost of living, on carbon pricing, on a lot of other issues, we have now decoupled and and are no longer aligned with what the liberals are saying. Uh, that doesn't make us red hat wearing, anti-vax insurrectionists. So we don't appreciate it. So there is yeah. the risk of backfiring as well. Yeah, I, no, I think it's a great point. You know, especially maybe this kind of stuff will fire up the Liberal Party base, and maybe that's what this is about here. Because I have I have spoken to some people who are federal liberals who are inclined to vote for Trudeau again, and they thought that that ad we just played there with the back and forth comparing Polyev to Trump, they, this was brilliant. They loved it. And then I've spoken to other voters who are more maybe on the fence, who are maybe thinking of voting for Polyev because they've got concerns about the economy or whatever, housing. And they just thought this was over-the-top ridiculous comparison. I mean, you get a guy like Trump who has talked about banning Muslims from entering America or uh, the former chief of the Joint Chief of Staff should potentially be executed. You know, some of the stuff that Trump has said, I've never heard Polyev go to some of these Trump extremes. But let's listen to another clip here, Shachi, for your thoughts. Liberal MP Adam Van Coverden here uh, comparing Tr uh, Polyev, again, comparing Polyev to Trump here. Let's listen. Canada's support for Ukraine should have been unanimous in this house, but just like Donald Trump, the leader of the Conservatives is cozying up to Russian dictator Vladimir Putin. 
Yeah. So they say, oh, Polyev is cozying up to Putin, just like Donald Trump. I had Polyev on the show here recently, Shachi. I asked him about these comparisons that the liberals are making, uh, comparing him to Trump. Here's what he told me, then I'll get your thoughts. So Trudeau doesn't want to face my common sense ideas because he knows people agree with me. So he's mm. distracting with uh, ridiculous attacks like that one. He wants to distract with smears that focus on different countries that don't apply to Canada. Okay, so he thinks it's just a desperate uh, tactic by Justin Trudeau and the, and the Liberals. Shachi, your thoughts on how that what might be a better way forward for the Liberals here to close this gap? I mean, if comparing Trump, comparing Polyev to Trump is not the way to go, how do they catch up here? I mean, there's there's first of all, there's plenty of weaknesses that Pierre Polyev has unto himself, and you know, note note to Pierre and and his strategists, you may actually want to tamp down some of that Trump echoing rhetoric because mm. it's it's not going to do you any favors except for with. Um, a small, very hard right. I'm, I'm thinking about last night's football game, wide right uh, aspect <laughs> of, of the Canadian electorate. And you saw how that went uh, last night for the Lions. So yeah. um, all of that to say uh, what what uh, there's 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 plenty of room to really encourage Canadians now to take a look at Parapoliev and say, Beyond criticizing Trudeau over cost of living, over housing, over a number of issues that really do have Canadians annoyed, what actually are his uh, solutions? What is his solution on climate change? You want to so-called axe the tax? Fine. What's your approach? What's your solution? Canadians haven't stopped caring about climate change. They're just scared about being able to afford things right now. What is his solution on immigration? So the Conservatives in opposition have had a long run of gaining political support simply by effectively throwing a lot of firebombs at the Liberals over the mistakes the Liberals have been making. And the Liberals have had a lot of own goals these days. But at some point, the the media, Canadians themselves, the commentators will have to, and, and I try to do this in, in the opinion pieces that I write, really take a hard look at what the conservatives are saying and say, well, you, you can't just criticize. You've actually got to come with a plan, number yeah. one. Right. Secondly, Pierre, and I'll, I'll wrap up quickly because I know you got to run. Um, the the second aspect is the likability factor for Polyev. Uh, he's gain he's he's winning with men. He's not winning. He's losing massively with women. Uh, young women cannot stand Pierre Polyev. Uh, older women between the ages of 34 and 55, they're kind of starting to look at him. But again, it's all driven by cost of living issues. And if that starts to go away, you know, it's not like they're feeling particularly charmed by the guy. Older women are sticking with Justin Trudeau. They do not like Pierre Polyev. You cannot win an election if you're missing like half the electorate. That's a huge problem for Pierre Polyev. And it's a gap he's failing to close. I know he's tried to do those ads with his wife and he's trying to quote unquote soften himself, but it's not moving the needle right now. Interesting. Shachi, awesome analysis. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me, Mike.
Let's talk about the deep freeze, the cold snap that we recently went through. All those reports of frozen and burst pipes in homes and commercial buildings as well. This happened at our home. We had some frozen pipes. There was no water coming out of our kitchen tap and... I'll tell you, man, I was I was worried that these pipes are going to burst in my walls or something and cause a whole bunch of damage. Fortunately, it seemed to just gently thaw out. Water started working again, but I'm getting that checked out. Uh, lots of people had frozen pipes and burst pipes as well during the cold snap. Have a listen to this report. Global News reporter John Wah. Vancouver International Airport, BC Ferries, Mission Hospital. Even this warming centre in Nanaimo. The people had been sitting inside, staying warm, and then the water just started gushing through the ceiling. All victims of a recent cold snap and thaw, pushing countless pipes beyond their breaking point. Yeah, they get to the breaking point, they burst, and it can cause a lot of mess and a lot of damage too. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Dr. Guido Wimmers, Dean of the BCIT School of Construction and the Environment. Dr. Wimmers, thank you for coming on today. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks a lot for doing it. So when we see these frozen and burst pipes like that, that is, I guess, not uncommon when you get into like a deep freeze situation. What do people need to know about that? Like, is it a wise thing if you see a real deep cold snap coming on like that, you turn your water off into your home? That's certainly one option. I mean, generally speaking, they they obviously freeze because they're not properly insulated. So there are Mm -hmm. several different things you can do. But if you haven't done it up to the day when it's getting really cold, then of course there's one option that you just um, shut off the motor, the water main wherever you can, which is not really an option in a hospital or any of these buildings. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had kind of done that. I did try to turn off some water at our own home there in certain places, but boy, this one took us by surprise. Some of the frozen pipes that we had at our home. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about the insulation on the pipes, because I'm really interested in your thoughts on that. Let's listen to another part of this Global News report here. You'll hear Global News reporter John Waugh again, and also you'll hear from Vancouver contractor here, Brett Bannon. Let's listen. Those on the restoration front line say these extreme changes in weather are becoming the new normal. And maybe it's time for British Columbia to change the building code. Maybe changing the codes for insulating pipes. That should be uh, um, the nail in the coffin to stop a lot of these pipes from freezing over and seeing a lot of these, you know, hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollar water claims. Yeah, I can imagine having a water claim that much damage from frozen and burst pipes. So Dr. Wimmers, what is the law right now when it comes to the building code in British Columbia? Are contractors and builders required to insulate these pipes? I think even more importantly than insulating the pipes is first off insulating the building itself properly so that yeah. you, you know, if, if, if the building itself is well insulated, the risk for the pipes inside is way lower. So that would be the first step. And it also insulates the people inside. Even if you have a problem with uh, no heat for whatever reason, you still stay reasonably warm. So having a good insulated building in the first place, I think, is well, the most expensive fix, obviously, but also the most meaningful for the future. And current codes are very good in that, but obviously those codes are aiming at new construction and not at a building which was built 50 or 30 years ago. So 
most of the damages we see are in older buildings. It's fairly rare to see them in new ones. Yeah. So the current standards we have right now with a new construction, I think that's a really important important distinction. So we're talk. Let's talk about a new construction, for example. the The walls must be insulated. Is that correct? And do the pipes themselves have to be insulated? The walls have to be properly insulated, the entire envelope. If you look at a building like a cube, then you have six sides. So you have the roof, you have the bottom, and you have the four walls. Just simplifying here. So everything has to be properly insulated to stay warm and make sure that pipes can't freeze. The next step then would be inside of the building to start to insulate the pipes. To a certain level, you have to do this already, but there is obviously quite a bit of room for improvement. Yeah. How effective is that insulation? Like if it's done properly, should you, does it completely eliminate the, the worry about the pipes freezing? Generally, I would argue, yes, there will be yeah. always some exemptions where, you know, you still have to uh, shut off that, that particular uh, water bit or something. But generally speaking, yes, if it's properly insulated, you wouldn't run into any issues. Yeah. So how about for older buildings now? Like typically you might see these burst pipes in an older building, as you described. Is that because the have the building standards, the building code changed over time and sort of older buildings didn't have the same standards? Codes, by definition, are simply reactive. They're always running behind of what you would love to see today. So, um, you know, at some point the building burns down and then we have new regulations for fire or an earthquake hits and we have new regulations for earthquake resistance. So generally speaking, code is always a little bit behind. That's in the nature of it, because at the end, it's all about affordability as well. So it's kind of a trying to hit the sweet spot between the costs of something and the, the likability that something like this is actually happening. So, of course, codes are um improving over time and especially our energy efficiency requirements have improved over the last five to ten years drastically yeah. which will eliminate that problem in new buildings mostly at least yeah speaking of dr guido wimmer's bcit school of construction it was interesting to hear in that global news clip we played their local contractor thinking that the building code should be strengthened or toughened up on pipe insulation do you agree with them, or do you think that the building code right now as it stands is adequate? No, I, I generally would agree with them. Um, mm. There is certainly some room for improvement, especially when it's about the pipes. For the buildings themselves, we're doing better already than we did five years ago. And again, there's still room for improvement, um, also from a cost efficiency point of view. For pipes, yes, that has to be increased as well. That would be just a common sense thing. Yeah. Yeah, what could potentially be the the change there? We just have to provide better insulation? Like what kind of insulation is required now? How could it be improved? It, it really depends on the type of building, size of building, etc. So that's not a simple answer here. Um, but generally speaking, what we went through over the last uh, decade or so, basically moving from a prescriptive path to a performance-based path. So... Um, in the past, the code defined what exactly you have to do, which yeah. kind of also hinders any innovation. It just tells you exactly what to do, but that's not necessarily the, the best practice or the best thing to do. Now we're moving much more towards performance-based, which means that is now open for innovation and we can figure out um, how to do things better. Right. So 
for the pipes, then yes, uh, you would just on a performance level, you would require a certain level of, of performance of insulation. And then however this is done for each project should be up to mechanical engineers, builders, etc. Yeah. Do you think that in the era of climate change that we're living in right now, that this becomes more important than ever? I mean, we continue to have more extreme sort of climate events. We see very hot periods in the summer. We've seen these deep cold periods. We've seen some wild weather recently. Is is this a wake-up call that building standards and building codes need to be improved or reviewed? That is a clear yes. I mean, we've yeah. seen over the last two years, uh, we have seen flooding, we've seen uh, wildfires, we have seen drought, yeah. and now the freeze and unprecedented levels. So um, there is still global warming going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we wouldn't see very cold temperatures as well as we just experienced. Sure. So everything becomes a bit more volatile. Yeah. How about uh, insurance coverage? Like typically if a, a burst pipe like this occurs and you get water damage, would most, would most home insurance, would most business insurance cover that? I would think so. Yes, it depends a little bit on exactly what kind of piping they've used. But those homeowners or business owners uh, who don't have the right pipes in there, they would probably know it because the insurance has already told them that they might not cover it. Uh, there, there, are, there are some materials insurances don't like to cover. Yeah, and I also know for sure that people should be aware that if you are not in your home, let's say you go away on, on vacation, and the pipes freeze and cause water damage while you're away, you could be out of luck there if your insurance coverage doesn't cover you because sometimes it only cover you when you're actually in the home. So I think people should be aware of that. And especially if you're going away for a while in the winter, maybe not a bad idea to turn that water off. And I was also, as we were speaking here, Guido, I got a a listener email here from Albert who pointed out, okay, when you're talking about turning off your water main to prevent your, your pipes from freezing, you should make sure you drain those lines first so there's no water in the pipes so they don't freeze. Does that make sense? Like you'd turn off the water main and then make sure the taps are open so you drain any water that's in there already, right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Otherwise, you would still have the pressure in the line, so you would have to drain as well. Yeah, yeah. What is the what is the latest? What would you say generally on the BC construction picture right now? How busy are you guys over at the BCIT School of Construction right now? It seems like we're in a boom period here. We don't have enough construction workers, right? That is very true. Um, I mean, yeah. it's always a little bit of a cycl uh, cyclical thing in the sense that if the industry goes crazy and every construction worker is needed out there, on a training side, it's typically a little bit less busy because the people are working. Um, but right now, it's the opposite in a sense that the industry is still very busy, but we are also very busy with training because so many more experts and workers and trades, et cetera, are needed. Yeah, what's what would what skills are most in demand right now, would you say? I wouldn't dare to pinpoint at anyone. Uh, trades in general are Everything. Yes. Everything. We need it all. We need it all. Uh, Dr. Wimmers, thank you for coming on to talk to me today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure.
Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.